open to John 21 uh, today. If you do not have one of our Sunday school lessons, uh, there are some back there, but the body's going to grab them. Uh, if you get your hand up, raise your hand up, uh, put a $100 bill in your hand, and Brother Bonnie will trade you. Uh, no, if you did not get one of the lessons, please put your hand up. Brother Bonnie would love to give you one. And uh, make sure everybody has a copy of our Sunday school lesson this morning. And as you're getting that, if you'd open your Bible to John 21, I'm going to go a very, very, very quick overview uh, this morning of the first two points that we've already looked at. And so if you've missed those, we're going to go over those this morning, but a little quicker than normal, because I've got a lot of material I want to give you this morning as we get to point three. And uh, I'm excited about the, uh, the teaching and encouraging and a lot of scripture I want to give you this morning. Uh, so I want to make sure you have your, uh, have your lesson paper there. We've still got, of course, more folks coming in. And uh, just uh, uh, praise the Lord for that. And uh, what, a, what a blessed opportunity we have to gather. How many of you are enjoying the mild weather? Hallelujah. And uh, it's almost like springtime. I think the flowers are going to start blooming here pretty soon. And the trees are going to be budding. The, the robins are going to be singing. And uh, Pastor Rice is going to continue lying. And, uh, but I'll, ta- I'll take it while we can get it. Amen. Look here with me at John chapter 21, verses 1 through 19. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And on this wise showed he himself. They were together Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus and Nathanael of Cana in Galilee and the sons of Zebedee and two other of his disciples. And Simon Peter saith unto them, I, I go a fishing. And they say unto him, We also go with thee. They went forth and entered into a ship immediately that night, and they caught nothing. But when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore, and the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. Then Jesus saith unto them, Children, have ye any meat? And they answered him, No. And he said unto them, Cast the net on the right side of the ship, and ye shall find. And they cast therefore, and now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. Therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved saith unto Peter, It is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he girt his fisher's coat upon him, for he was naked, and he did cast himself into the sea. And the other disciples came in a little ship, for they were not far from land, but as it were, two hundred cubits, dragging a net with fishes. And as soon as they were come to the land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid thereon, and bread. And Jesus saith unto them, Bring of the fish which ye have now caught. Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land full of great fishes, and hundred and fifty and three, and for all there were so many, yet was not the net broken. And Jesus saith unto them, Come and dine, and none of the disciples durst ask him, Who art thou, knowing that it was the Lord? Verse 13, Jesus then cometh and taketh bread and giveth them, and fish likewise. This is now the third time that Jesus showed himself to the disciples after he was risen from the dead. And starting here in verse 15, these last few verses, I want you to pay especially close attention to. This is the passage we're going to uh, spend time looking at this morning. So when they had dined, Jesus saith to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my lambs. 
He saith unto him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my sheep. He saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? And Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, Lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. And Jesus saith unto him, Feed my sheep. Verily I say unto thee, When thou wast young, thou girdest thyself, and walkest whither thou wouldest. But when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thine hand, and another shall gird thee, and carry thee whither thou wouldest not. This spake he, signifying by what death he should glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he saith unto him, Follow me. Let's pray together this morning. Ask the Lord to help us. Lord, we desire, Lord, to understand your word better today. Lord, we ask you to help us, to guide us, and lead us in all truth. And Lord, what a blessed, wonderful truth we have to look at today. And Lord, I pray we will be encouraged. Lord, I, I thank you, Lord, that we can look at this restoration of Peter. And Lord, we can see that you don't give up on us, that you love us, you don't toss us away. And Lord, you desire us to partner with you, even we who are frail and broken, imperfect. And Lord, that's all of us this morning. Lord, we, like Peter, have an opportunity to come to you. Lord, I pray you'd bless, help us now. In your precious name we pray, amen. I want to, as I mentioned, give you a very quick overview of the first two points if you've missed that this morning. And uh, I want to get to the last point we're going to close out with today, and we're going to spend uh, uh, the bulk of the time looking at that. Uh, but if you look in your notes there, number one, if you've missed that, the first point is futility. We see here a defeated group of followers. We see that these, these men who had followed Jesus, who had heard him preach, had heard him teach, had, had committed themselves to him, had left all to follow Christ, we find them now defeated, discouraged, disillusioned, and we find them back where they began. It's like they went so far in those three and a half years that they followed Christ, and they turned the corner and went backwards, and they're all the way back over here where they began. And we see the, the futility of that, that there was no progress, it seemed, for them. That there was no blessing, it seemed, for them. Uh, there was no ground gained, it seemed, for them. And in that futility as well, we see point A in your notes, the disciples were faithless, and we see that in verse 14, and now the third time that Jesus showed himself to his disciples after he was risen from the dead. So if we take that verse into context, Jesus is going to show himself in a little bit, and we read the passage, how he's on the shore, uh, he's cooking fish and cooking bread, and he calls out to the disciples, and have you, have you caught anything yet? And when they said no, he said, well, cast on the other side. And they, they caught fish. They came in. Jesus would speak with them. But before that whole interaction happened, the Bible says two other times since he died on the cross, two other times since he was laid in that tomb dead, 
Two other times as his body was prepared and buried, three days and three nights he was spent in that tomb. And since he was in the tomb, two other times he has appeared to these men who are now in the boat living a futile life. Can I tell you that the disciples had become faithless. They'd seen Jesus already. They weren't in the boat going, oh, Jesus is dead. He, he's in the tomb. They'd already seen him twice, and yet they're faithless. Believers, can I tell you that you and I, we have the word of God? And yet, can I tell you, sometimes we're faithless. Not because we have to be. Not because we should be. But because we allow the difficulties of life, we allow the doubts of this world, we allow our emotion, our feeling, things, others, to cause us to give up our faith. And we see here the disciples were faithless. They had lacked the faith they once had. Not only were they faithless, but verse number 5, if we go back, we see they were fruitless. It says there in verse 5, And Jesus saith unto them, Children, have ye any meat? How many of you have ever been fishing before? Uh, Brother Mike, you can raise, you've been fishing. <laughs> How many of you have ever been fishing and you've gone fishing and caught nothing? You ever been there? Come here, you've been there before. That's discouraging. Man, you go fishing. I remember when I was a kid, I used to dream. I'd go fishing, I would catch a fish as big as me. Now, that was a big dream when I was a kid. That would be a really big dream now. But I remember I'm going to catch the biggest fish in the whole world. But I remember many times going fishing with my dad as a boy, and we'd sit there on the bank, and we fished like Brother Mike. We didn't catch anything. We'd go home and go, how many fish? Now, it's bad enough when you don't catch fish. It's even worse when you're leaving your fishing spot. You're going out to your vehicle or walking out, and somebody's walking in, and they say, hey, did you catch anything? You know what you want to do? You want to punch him right in the nose. I don't want to talk about it, man. Just leave me alone. You don't know me. Quit getting personal. It's discouraging. Being fruitless. The disciples, Jesus, cried out from the shore. Hey, you guys, you guys catch anything? No. We see that they were fruitless. That we see the futility of their life. Not only did they not have faith, but that lack of faith led them to a fruitless life. Christian, can I tell you that a, a faithless life will lead you to a fruitless life? They always go together. They were faithless. They were fruitless. We see the futility of it all there. Now, as we shift gears a bit and we look at point two in your notes, we see we go from futility to feasting. Now, that's our favorite thing to do, isn't it, feast? Uh, we're going to do that today. We're having a meal following the service, and uh, we're going to uh, feast. I'm not sure what we're feasting on. Uh, my family, I know we, we brought some really high-end uh, like super, super high-end food today. We have some hot dogs back there. And uh, we're going to feast in a little while. And we see here Jesus and the disciples, we see the feasting in verse 6 through 8. 
And he said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the ship, and ye shall find. And they cast therefore, and now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. Therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved saith unto Peter, It's the Lord. It's the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he girded his fisher's coat unto him, for he was naked, and he cast himself into the sea. And the other disciples came in a little ship, for they were not far from land, but as it were two hundred cubits dragging the fishes. In the midst of their futility, in the midst of their faithlessness and their fruitlessness, we see here that Jesus takes their life from futility to feasting. They have nothing. They're not in the place they should be. And yet the answer was there was Jesus Christ. And when they listened to him, when they obeyed him, they went from fruitlessness to this place of feasting. Luke chapter 5, uh, verse 1, we could look at verses 1 through 11, and we would find that this is not the first time that Jesus had called from the shore and said to some of these same men, hey, cast on the other side. John heard the words of Jesus. And John said, Peter, that, that's got to be Jesus. As Peter remembered, by the way, it was Peter's boat that day. The first time Jesus had said, cast on the other side. And we see here that John knew who it was. Peter would go to, go to Jesus quickly. But it also reminded them, because the same day Jesus had said those words to them the first time, cast on on the other side, he had said something else to them. When they came into the shore, he had said the words to those men, Follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. The reminder was there with them. We were supposed to follow Jesus. We, we, we've stopped following him. Our, we've become faithless and fruitless. We're not following Christ as we should have. And here they, they hear the Lord, and they're reminded of the call, reminded of where they were and what they saw with Christ. And we see here them remembering that. It was John, the disciple, the Bible says, whom Jesus loved, who recognized Christ, who recognized him. Peter went to him. You know, it's challenging to see that when Peter knew it was the Lord, he just jumped in the water. I'm going to get to him. Now, all the disciples got to Christ. But Peter said, I, I'm going right now. I'm going to leave this very moment. I, I'm going to get as close to Christ as I can. Christian, can I tell you the greatest thing you can ever do, the greatest decision you can ever make in your Christian life, is to get as quickly close to Christ in every moment of your life. Peter said, I'm going to get close and I'm going to get there quickly. I'm going to just go right now. He went close, quickly to Christ. We see here in the feasting, letter A, we see the food. I mentioned food a moment ago, verses 11 through 13. We see Jesus has coals and he has bread and he has fish. He has it prepared for them. I don't think the Lord had fancy food. I think it was just food. 
I don't know that there was all kinds of extras. I think it was just pretty simple. But it met their needs. It filled them. The children of Israel, when they went through the wilderness, every day they got up and they got the manna that God gave them from heaven. Now they got tired of it and they complained against God, but it was all they needed. God meets our needs, Christians. Jesus met the needs of the disciples here. Matthew 6 reminds us of that. I shared the story last week, and for sake of time, I won't, but I shared about George Mueller, who managed and ran several and literally led them by prayer as God met their needs in prayer, as God provided those needs in prayer. And how wonderful that is. Not only do we see the food, but also, uh, letter B, we see the fellowship. The fellowship, notice in verses 15 through 19. We read a moment ago, I won't read again, but in verses 15 through 19, Jesus is with the disciples. I mean, he, he, he's, he's there with them. He's right there. And Jesus is talking with them and fellowshipping with them. Now, that fellowship had been broken when Peter said, I go fishing. I'm going. I'm leaving. But now they're back together. There's that fellowship, that time together. God wants to fellowship with us. I'm sure when Peter was on the boat that night, if he thought about Jesus, and I'm sure he did, if he thought about Jesus, I am sure that Peter thought, Jesus doesn't want to talk to me. He doesn't want to spend time with me. He, he doesn't love me. I, I, I've offended him. He doesn't want to be close to me. Christian, never, never believe that Jesus doesn't want to fellowship with you. He wants to be close to you. And how wonderful we see the Lord in fellowship with these men who had left who quit following, and how wonderful that we can have that fellowship with God. Now, point number three, and this is where I've been wanting to get this morning. Point number three, I want us to talk about forgiveness. Forgiveness. One of the greatest words in the English language. Forgiveness. Can I tell you why it's such a wonderful word? Because we need it, <laughs> and we need it often. Forgiveness. In the passage, verses 15 through 19, the conversation that Jesus had with Peter, and I could be wrong, but I think that this conversation happened with the other disciples present. I, I don't know for certain. I Maybe it was Jesus pulled Peter aside and they had a conversation a bit privately, but I think the conversation happened with the other men together. The conversation where Jesus would ask Peter, do, do you love me? Three times. Three times Peter would answer. And Jesus did something each time here, and I, I love the picture, how wonderful the picture is here. The disciples have been fed. 
They'd eaten the bread, they'd eaten the fish. Christ showed them that he had forgiven them. So, Pastor, how, how's that, how does that happen? How, how did Christ show them he had forgiven them? I want to make a statement that I think is very vital. I want you to get this, maybe jot this down. I think it'll help you. One of the greatest ways to show forgiveness, one of the greatest ways to show forgiveness to someone is to re-involve them, to re-involve them in your life, and to re-involve them in the ministry that you're involved in. What you love, what you're involved in, to re-involve that one who is forgiven with you. To pull them in with you. Jesus has done that. Jesus has said to the fellas, hey, sit down. I got a meal for you. I want to talk with you. I want you to be with me. He had re-involved them here. We see that. He had re-involved them in life and even ministry, as we see in just a moment. Even though Peter had deserted his call, Peter had left his place of following Christ and gone all the way back to where Jesus found him. All the way back to the first time Jesus said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Even though Peter had gone back, Jesus called and pulled Peter in, these other disciples in, and was going to re-involve them in his life. How wonderful that is. And the ministry of Christ. Letter A here in this passage, we see Peter's confession. Verses 15 through 17, Peter confesses the truth. Now, we won't read the, the verses again, but we know Jesus asked him, Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Well, sometimes we miss a little bit here. Jesus said, Lovest thou me first more than these? Understand, Peter's with his brother. Peter's with James and John, his partners. Peter's with some other three of the disciples here, and Jesus looks at Peter and said, Hey, do you love me more than you love your family? More than you love your best friends? More than you love your business partners? More than you love the men you grew up with? Do you love me more than all of those? Why would Jesus ask Peter that question? Because Peter at one point had professed that he loved Jesus more than anybody else. He is say, hey, I'm the one. Now, these guys, they may run off, but I love you more than that. Like, I, I've got greater love than they do for you. Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? At one time, Peter proclaimed that in front of all of them. Matthew 26, then said Jesus unto them, all ye shall be offended because of me this night. For it is written, I will smite the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered abroad. But after I am risen, again I will go before you into Galilee. And Peter answered, this isn't long before, weeks, week before, 
Peter answered and said to him, Though all men shall be offended because of thee, yet I will never be offended. And Jesus said to him, Verily I say unto thee that this night before the cock crow thou shalt deny me thrice. And Peter said to him, Though I should die with thee, yet will I not deny thee. Likewise also said all the disciples. You understand when Jesus asked Peter, Do you love me more than all of these? Peter remembered the first time he had said, yeah, I do. I love you more. And Jesus had said to him, you're going to deny me, Peter? No, I won't. I'll never do that. And later that night, Peter would say, I, I don't know. <laughs> Not me. <laughs> he cursed. He swore. I don't even know that man. How raw, how tender, how painful. And yet, Jesus asked him the question, Peter, do you love me more than you love all of these? As we see this lesson in Peter's life, from a distance, when he was accused of being a follower of Christ, he denied. And yet, moments before even, he said, I love you more. I love you the most. I'll never, ever, 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 ever stop following you. Jesus asked the question, do you love me? That's pretty direct. That's pretty, pretty personal. Pretty personal question. It's a question that I believe all of us need to take to heart from Christ. By the way, it's a fair question. Do we love him? Friend, do we love Jesus Christ? For, for he loves you. He, he loves me. He proved his love on Calvary. Jesus and Peter both knew as we know, there are different depths of love. How many of you like uh, dessert? How many of you, are, you like desserts? You like sweets? How many of you would raise your hand and say, I go beyond liking them. I pretty much have an addiction to them, and I love sweets. Let me see your hands. Colton, put your hand way up. Uh, we're going to get Colton involved in an addictions program soon. You know, there are some things that we like, some things that, ah, that's pretty good. And then there are some things that we love. Yesterday, I was given a homemade caramel cheesecake. And no, you can't have any. But it was, uh, and I, I say this confidently, the best cheesecake I've ever tasted in my life. And I think all my family, except for Hannah, because Hannah is the only one that has willpower, all of my family except Hannah tasted it. And I think all of them agreed it was the best cheesecake in the world. Uh, I, I did allow uh, the resident sugar addict, Colton, uh, to eat it. He agreed. And then he brought it home to B. I got a message from Colton last night. The message was, I think B loves this cheesecake more than she loves me. And uh, by the way, my response to him was, I love that cheesecake more than I love you. And man, it's good. 
Man, if you put a piece of that up here and say, Pastor, do you want that? Yeah, service is over. I'm going to have some right now. It's that good. There are some things that we love and some things, but yeah, that's okay. I, I like that. We understand that. We understand there's differences of of love and and appreciation. Peter understood that. The Lord understood that. And in the language of the day, it was not just a simple one word for love and affection. Rather, there were more words. Those of you that English is not your second language, you know that in many languages, uh, there are many words that kind of mean the same thing, but they have different, different strengths of meaning. And that was exactly what happened here. The first two times the Lord asked Peter, Peter, do you love me? It wasn't, Peter, do you, do you like me? I mean, we're, we're friends, right? It wasn't, Peter, do you, do you have a, a pretty good affection for me? Rather, the Lord asked the question, Peter, do you love me? With the strongest word, the strongest term uh, in the Koine Greek language that was available at the time, the strongest way of saying, do you love me? And Peter did not say, yeah, I love you with that great, powerful love. Rather, Peter answered, yeah, I like you, Lord. Husbands, remember back to when you were dating your wife. By the way, you should still be dating your wife. But before you were married, how many of you remember the first time you said, I love you to your wife? Oh, wow, nobody remembers. There we go. This guy's going to stay married right there. And even if he doesn't remember, he was smart enough to go, yep, I remember for sure. I hope my wife forgets and doesn't ask me to tell her when it was. But I remember the first time I told my wife I love her. If you said to your now wife back when you, before you were married, if Kevin, if you said to your wife one day, I love you. I mean, he worked up the courage. It took him 15 years. But finally, he got the courage to tell her, I love you. And she looked at him and said, I like you. Pfft. He'd be defeated. All the air out of his sails, like, man. It's like a guy that I know that went to an airport back before uh, a lot of things happened in our, uh, with the airports. Of course, you couldn't do this now, but back in the early 90s, I think it was either late 89, 90, 91, somewhere in that window, his girlfriend was flying back to Chicago, Midway Airport in Chicago. And he went there to meet her at the airport. He went there to meet her in a suit of armor. Try that now after 9-11. But he, he went in a suit of, I mean, he's wearing a suit of armor. He had, I think, a, a dozen roses and an engagement ring. He goes in the airport waiting for her to come out. When she came out in the open area inside the airport in his suit of armor, He gets down on one knee in front of God and everybody and proposes, will you marry, I love you, will you marry me? I saw that man this last year. I saw him and his wife 
His wife is not the woman that he said, will you marry me? Because the woman he bowed down before in a suit of armor inside of the airport in Chicago said, no. Imagine that. I mean, defeated. Praise the Lord. God had another plan for him, him and his dear wife. We saw just this last May when we went for Lizzie's graduation. But Peter said to the Lord, after the Lord said, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me with every possible ounce and fiber of your being? Lord, I, I like you. Peter confessed the truth. By the way, in John 3.16, when the Bible says, For God so loved the world, that is the most powerful word of love possibly ever used. But not the word that Peter would respond to the Lord, I love you. The way the Lord loves us, that perfect holy love that caused him to come and die for you and I, we see that love in several passages of Scripture. I want to read several verses to you this morning. Matthew 5, 44. But I say unto you, love your enemies. By the way, that word love isn't just, hey, be nice to them. No, love them the way I love you. Love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hurt you. Pray for them who despitefully use you and persecute you. Mark 10, 21. Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him and said unto him, One thing thou lackest, go thy way. Sell whatsoever thou hast and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. And come, take up thy cross and follow me. Mark chapter 12, a couple of chapters later in the gospel of Mark. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. For this is the first commandment. And the second is like, namely this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. Love. That's the kind of love Jesus has for you and me. John 3.35, the Father loveth the Son and hath given all things into his hand. John 13, verse 1, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, he should depart out of this world, and the Father, having loved his own, which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. I love that verse. He loved us to the end. By the way, that's wonderful because there is no end for him. He's eternal. John 13, 23, now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom, one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. By the way, husbands, wives, when God speaks about the relationship you should have, he uses the same word for love. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ loved the church. We're to have that kind of love for our wives, husbands. The kind of love that is perfect. The kind of love that is full and complete. 1 John 3.18, my little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and truth. So Jesus asked Peter, Peter, do you love me? And two times, Lord, I, I like you if you let me use the English vernacular. Lord, I'm very fond of you. 
But Peter wouldn't use the word Jesus used. Why? Because he knew, he knew Jesus knew. Jesus knows our heart. He knows everything about you and everything about me. We see Peter's confession here. Now, you and I, if we experience this, as I mentioned, if Kevin said to his wife-to-be, hey, I love you, and she said, yeah, you're okay. You know, you're not the worst person I've ever met. Uh, I mean, you're, you know, I, I don't, you know, I like you more than that guy there, the homeless guy on the street, but, I, you know, you're okay. I like you better than that, that really bad guy in history. No. I mean, if, if Peter comes a second time, or Kevin comes a second time and says, hey, I really love you now. And she says, yeah, you're okay. He probably wouldn't be here to get, they wouldn't be together today. Kevin would have said, man, I'm going to find somebody else. Man, she, or I'm, I'm, she was the only one I cared about. No, she doesn't love me. I'm just going to forget it all. You and I, we get so offended when someone doesn't reciprocate the way we think they should reciprocate. When we feel slighted, when we feel that we have invested so much and someone doesn't care, and I get it. I understand why our flesh gets riled up. But Jesus, two times, Peter, do you really, really, really love me with a perfect holy love? And two times, Peter responded, Lord, I, I don't have that kind of love. The third time, the third time Jesus asked Peter the question, he asked Peter this, the question using the word that Peter used. Peter, do you, do you like me? Do you, do you have a lesser love for me? And Jesus would hear the response. You know. You know that I love you. If we could hear the words of Christ out loud this morning, if we had to answer directly to him, do you love me? Most of us would have to respond the way Peter responded, I believe. But I believe our heart would be, Lord, I, I love you, but I want to love you more. I, I want to desire you more. I want to love you like you love me. Letter B, we see the confession of Peter. Letter B in your notes, we see Christ's commission. And I, I love this. Many of us, we would, if we were Christ, if we're pulling someone back into our life that has wronged us, if we're forgiving someone, and then we realized they don't care as much as we care. Most of us, okay, I've done my part. Now, I don't want to see you again. I don't need to be around you again. You know, I'll, I'll just unfriend them on Facebook. I'll separate from them. They do their thing. I don't care. I, I'm in the good. I've done my part. But that's not what Jesus did. Jesus said, 
he went so far beyond, and I love this. I love that our God, who is perfect, who's holy, has a desire not just to, not just to bring us back off the sideline, but he has a desire to commission us, to put us in a service. And how beautiful this is. We see here Christ's commission in verses 15 through 17. Is this, is this lesson that Peter is learning, uh, this lesson of restoration comes close to an end. The first thing that Jesus said to Peter was to feed my lambs. A lamb is a, a young sheep. The word lamb can be used from right from birth all the way up to before they become adults. It's a pretty broad term for a young or little sheep. But Jesus said to Peter, feed my lambs. And then he says, feed my sheep. Now, Peter, this is the same guy who just over here said, I don't know him. I deny him. I don't know Christ. The same guy who, even though he saw the risen Lord twice, said, I go fishing. The same guy who separated and quit following Christ, now he's here with the Lord, and the Lord says, hey, I want to use you again. I want you to be involved. Christian, God wants us involved in his commission, the Great Commission. He asked Peter to be involved again. And the word lamb, in one sense, could, could be talking about children. It could mean, Peter, I, I want you to, uh, to feed or teach the children. It also, I believe, has a connotation. I believe one of the greater, one of the greater applications is I want you to teach baby Christians, new believers. I, I, Peter, I want you to be involved in that. I want you to be involved in that teaching. Remember how precious children were the Lord. Matthew chapter 18 and Jesus called a little child to him and set him in the midst of them and said, Verily I say unto you, except ye be converted and become as a little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said in verse 10, uh, Take heed that ye despise not one of these little ones. For I say unto you that in heaven their angels do always behold the face of my Father which is in heaven, for the Son of Man is to come to see what that, that which is lost. Understand the importance of children. I praise God for the opportunity we have as a local church to minister to the needs of our children. I praise God for those that work faithfully in our nursery to minister to the needs of our, our youngest children uh, so you as parents can be a part and involved and learn and grow in the services. I appreciate those that are involved in our Sunday school and our children's church and our patch club uh, so we can minister to the children as P Peter was told to feed the lambs. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, we read that parents are commanded, not, not encouraged, commanded to rear their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. We could take time this morning to look in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and see some commands of the Lord. To use the word of God, to have the word of God in our hearts, to put that word of God in the hearts of our children. We read about Hannah the mother of Samuel, 
who said, for this child I've prayed. She had a desire to, for her child to know the Lord. We read Judges chapter 13 about the parents of Samson. There would be no Samson if it were not for his godly parents. Now, did Samson always obey his parents? Absolutely not. He went down and found Delilah. His parents said, hey, you stay away from her. He didn't listen. What happened? You know the rest of the story. But Samson had godly parents. In the book of 2 Timothy, we see the apostle Paul referring to the godly upbringing of Timothy. His godly mother, his godly grandmother... 2 Timothy chapter 3, Ephesians chapter 6. The Bible says, And fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. As I mentioned, it could mean children. I believe it could also mean new believers. Just as a, a baby needs nurture and love and care to mature, a baby Christian needs to be nurtured, fed, loved. Encouraged to grow. We see that the Lord said, Peter, I want you involved. I want you. But, but Lord, I, I left. Lord, I denied you. I want you involved. I want you involved teaching, nurturing, helping. By the way, in Acts chapter 11, and we, won't take, we don't have time to go there, but we read about a man named Barnabas. Can I tell you what Barnabas did? Barnabas took a man named Paul, a man who a lot of the disciples didn't trust, a man who a lot of the early, early church had reason to fear. And he took that, that man Paul under his wing and helped him in the ministry at Antioch. And you and I know the Apostle Paul, I believe part of the ministry of the Apostle Paul is due to God having a Barnabas that could come alongside and help and encourage. Peter was to come along and encourage those new believers. That was part of the work that Jesus had for Peter. The only way we can have sheep, if you're a sheep farmer, the only way you can have sheep in the future is if you have lambs. Those lambs grow up to be sheep. Moses and Joshua... Moses encouraged young Joshua until Joshua became the leader. Jesus encouraged and trained his disciples until they would be the ones that would be encouraging and leading. We see David and Jonathan, many, many in that same relationship. But then Jesus said, feed my sheep. We see a restoration here. A restoration to service. He was called, he denied, he went away. And Jesus pulled him back in, brought him into his life, into his relationship, into the ministry, and said to Peter, I, I want you to be involved again. I've got to work for you. Praise God for the forgiveness. Amen. You know why? I need it from him too. You need it from him too. But it doesn't stop there. We need to show that same kind of grace to others. How many times do we want to 
throw away what God wants involved. God wants close. Peter used mightily by God. We walked through some dark days with Peter the last several weeks. But that was not the end for him. That was not the final for him. God had a purpose. And Christian, you may have walked through some dark days in your life. Maybe this week, you say, Pastor, I had a bad week. <laughs> I did some things this week. If you knew what I did, you'd probably kick me out of this building. Man, if, if people sitting in my row, if they knew what I did this week, they'd get up and find somewhere else to sit. Can I tell you, if Jesus was sitting by you, he wouldn't get up. He'd stay right beside him and put his arm around and say, hey, I love you. I want you involved. I want you here with me. May we see the grace of our God. May we love as God loved. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for your great grace. I thank you for your great love. Lord, I pray you'd bless now our, our service to come. Lord, may you be glorified in all that's said and done in this place. Lord, in our fellowship, Lord, may we praise you. May we worship you as you deserve. Thank you, Lord. We love you. In your precious name we pray. Amen.